Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, uh, welcome to the show. It's November 3rd, 2021. We're starting uh, late because we had a uh, mucked up uh, earlier attempt. <laughs> I hope uh, some of you are still out there. Um, as a matter of fact, it would be helpful to me if you let me know if you can hear this because we were going happily along uh, earlier and thinking everything was okay until um, a few of you let us know that, in fact, you were hearing nothing. So I do need to get, assuming there's anybody left out there, uh, can you at uh, lynncullenshow at gmail.com if you can just let me know if you're hearing me because I'll be damned if I'm going to start this all over again for a second time and nobody's listening. Okay. Um, it was odd because I had a, uh, uh, I had a, uh, a different kind of a feeling today than I think you would expect me to have. I am not in the same down in the dumps, um, mood that, uh, I suspect many of you are. It's all over and, again uh, for a second time and nobody's listening that, I just decided to take care of myself. I mean, I, yeah. So I'm up, Milton. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I needed to know. Let me start where I was going to start, uh, where I had started before. I don't know if it's the right place. And I don't know if it's what, in fact, uh, you, you would uh, want from me today. I mean, obviously, I have no way of knowing that. If you want me to channel your your rage, your disappointment, your fears. Um, I'm, I'm not feeling that way right now. So I, again, I'm, I might disappoint you. Uh, you can, I think, tell from my affect and the tone of my voice that I'm in a pretty quiet place. And uh, that might be uh, self-protective. <laughs> That's my guess. Um, I, I want to start by just reading something that... Uh, a man who I think is is very good, smart, shares uh, our politics, uh, wrote, and he wrote this before uh, this election last night. I, I still don't know how to pronounce his name. Robert Reich, or Reich, former Labor Secretary, Mr. Clinton, uh, Harvard professor. And as I said, he didn't write this about last night, but he wrote it. This could have been written any time <laughs> in the last year. And I just want to share it with you because it, it hope, uh, will provide a, a measure of perspective. He says, if you're not at least a bit disappointed, you're not human. To some of you, it feels like America is failing. But bear with me, I've learned a few things in my half century in and around politics in my many, many years teaching young people. One is that things often look worse than they really are. The media sells subscriptions and advertising with stories that generate anger and disappointment. 
And the same goes for the views of pundits and commentators. Pessimists always appear wiser than optimists. Another thing I've learned is that expectations for a new president and administration are always much higher than they can possibly deliver. Our political system was designed to make it difficult to get much done, at least in the short run. So the elation that comes with the election of someone you admire almost inevitably gives way to disappointment. A third thing, in addition to normal political constraints, positive social change comes painfully slowly. It can take years, decades, sometimes a century or longer for society to become more inclusive, more just, more democratic, more aware of its shortcomings and more determined to remedy them. And such positive changes are often punctuated by lurches backward. But I believe in progress because I've seen so much of it in my lifetime. But I am also aware of the regressive forces that constantly threaten it. The lesson here, perseverance and tenacity playing the long we have been through a difficult time we wanted and expected it to be over challenging challenges overcome perpetrators brought to justice pandemic ended nation healed politics transformed but of course none of that the larger goals we are fighting for continue to elude us. Yet we must continue the fight. If we allow ourselves to fall into fatalism or wallow in disappointment or become resigned to what is rather than what should be, we will lose the long game. The greatest enemy of positive social change is cynicism about what can be changed. I don't know if that provides you any uh, measure of comfort. I suspect not. Because it's not that he's offering any anything but hard work. And You know, I did something that I was shocked by last night, if I may get a little personal. I um, I hadn't planned it. I, you know, was doing what I always do on election nights, sort of watching the clock, when the polls close, when I could maybe start getting some information. And then I, I don't know what happened. I thought to myself... Why do you need to know immediately? What is it going to do something good for you? Or could you have a pleasant evening and wake up in the morning fresh, 
not having your sleep in, you know, in any way altered by whatever you've injected from media. And, um, and tomorrow morning, all those numbers will, will be there. Uh, the news will be the news. It will be no different, except that you won't have lived through the drama that our media provides. You'll just cut to the chase. Who won? Who lost? And then you can dig into whatever numbers you yourself are interested in, and you can spare yourself. You can spare yourself this trial that you're you're addicted to putting yourself through. It's not like I thought all that, but that's clearly what was happening in my head. And I, again, without any sense of this is what I'm going to do, I just did it. I just did it. I watched a movie. I walked my dog. I watched a movie, a movie I'd seen before a long time ago, Cinderella Man, Russell Crowe, Renee Zellweger. It's a good movie. But I want to talk more about that later, too. And then I, I went to bed at a reasonable hour, blissfully ignorant. Because think about it. What? Good is accomplished for you, for your mental health, for your chance of a good night's sleep. By letting yourself, by not only letting yourself, but by choosing to enter the maw of the media. The media whose only intent is to hold you and to hold you through manufactured or not drama, fear, the promise of smart people who will tell you what's happening, how to think, how to react, what a disaster this is. Why would we, why would we give ourselves over to them when you can access the same information on your own time, in your own way, And have more control. It worked so well for me last night. You hear my voice. It's not the voice of, you know, the ranting. It's, I feel pretty good this morning. Now, right, I still might be, you know, in a defensive kind of a a mode. 
But when I took in the information, when I woke up, it was like, oh, it was a lot different than if I'd watched in that addictive way that so many of us do. The blow by blow, the the pundits, who I have to say, I have grown so, so weary of. I want us all to move toward trusting ourselves more. And pulling ourselves away from this machinery that keeps us in such a state of anxiety. We'll be better for it. We'll have more energy to do the work that Robert Reich says we have to do. We know we have to do. Clearly. So that is, I know it's not the takeaway that you would expect from me, but it's a takeaway you're getting. (laughs) I, I'm, I feel it in my bones. I am starting to make a change and that is to take more control of who gets into my head. I'm not alone in doing this. I have a dear friend who I know is struggling in the same way. Very engaged political friend. But she realizes that she's no good to anybody in her life or to the cause, whatever it may be. If she is so exhausted by how corporate entities bent on making lots of money want us to experience our lives. Think about that. I'm sick of it. I don't want them having me be just another person who jumps when they say jump, who freaks when they say freak. (laughs) I'm going to quit them. I've been a news junkie all my life, since I was a kid. I was the odd kid who read... Time and Newsweek, cover to cover, when I was like 9, 10, 11. Fascinated. And I still am. But I want to acquire that information on my own. And I know I'm not getting it in a manner that is conducive to my well-being and my understanding when I turn 
to American television and often to American news papers, even the, the biggies, because they're all in the same game. And I think they all seem to, in a certain way, have lost their place or are showing they do not have the courage to recognize that these are not ordinary times and that these times call for them to up their game, to engage in courageous behavior. There are not two sides to every story. There are not two sides to every story. And so much of what we think we know is wrong. Supposed to be the information age. We know that's not true. It's the exact opposite. This is the disinformation age. And you see what an evil it is. I'm going to strive mightily not to be distracted by the latest shiny new object. I'm going to strive to take care of myself so that I can do whatever I can do to move things forward. <clears throat> I am done with media as I have consumed it. I am done. That is not to say, of course, that there are not good people in media, obviously. But the corporatization of our media has altered it in ways that have harmed the mission of what a journalist is to. I remember an old friend of mine happened to be a, a FCC commissioner, Nicholas Johnson. He had served in Lyndon Johnson's administration. And I remember Nick saying to me once, as he watched media begin to change, his cable came in, and boy, he called it. He said, this is going to change things and not in a good way. He said, the fact <clears throat> that former anonymous scriveners who used to provide information will now be brought onto television to become celebrities and TV stars will warp them, will warp their product. He was right. 
he was right about a lot of things. So, can I just, I know this is totally off what you wanted. If you wanted to talk, if, if you wanted me to talk about Virginia, I'm sorry. I'm not going to. If you want me to point fingers um, and say, should have done this, they didn't do that, I'm not going to do it. For one thing, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Nobody does. If they did, (laughs) I don't know. It'd be different, wouldn't it? I know some things. I know that, uh, well, I don't even want to get into it. I'm sorry. I mean, obviously, I have I have some takeaways myself. I just don't feel like, like talking about them. Because, again, where does it get us? What is the purpose? Can we pull ourselves out of what has been created here, this environment that we live in, which is so destructive to our communities, to our livelihoods that have it's inserted strife in families and friendships. I don't want to be part of it. And I know it's going to be hard for me to pull out. I mean, this is not going to be something, this is going to be one day at a time stuff, right? But I saw just from last night what a wise, inadvertently wise thing I did. care of myself. So now I am going to digress into something that, you know, again, you had no one, no one would suggest that this is what I would be talking about today. But I'm going to because it interests me. And I think there is a lesson in it as well. So if you will bear with me, and let me take you back to my last night, I think it'll be worthwhile. And as I said, I was watching this Russell Crowe, Renee Zellweger film, Cinderella Man, about a heavyweight boxer. It's based on a true story. Heavyweight boxer. Uh, Jim Braddock during the Depression, who became the, you know, the great white hope, the working man's hero. He was on a bread line and he came. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those stories that is so, you know, rousing. It, it, it's, it's wonderfully done. The acting is extraordinarily good. 
And the villain of the piece is, it always has to be a villain, is, of course, the, the money guys, the big guys who run boxing and who have other men fight their fights and die sometimes. They get rich. And the other villain is another boxer named Max Bayer. Now, these are historical figures. Jim Braddock, Max Bear. Max Bear was the reigning heavyweight champion. Now, here's where things get, uh, here's where I was confused. Because as I watched the movie, my sense of who Max Bear was, was that he was a German boxer. But when Max Bear appeared in the movie, he talked like an American. And I thought, huh? How was that? I was really confused. But I stayed on and watched the movie. And in the movie, Max Bear is like villain. He is so lethal. In the movie, they make a big thing about him having killed two other fighters in the ring. One punch, dead, dead. And after the movie was done, because, of course, Braddock beats him. After the movie was done, I went to social media and sought out Max Bayer because clearly he wasn't German. And I couldn't figure out where the hell I'd gone wrong. And I found myself watching black and white video of the actual fight. It was, it was amazing. There's a video of the actual fight. It was very much like the one on the movie, only... I found out that my confusion about Max Bear being a German was because somewhere in my head, he got mixed up, and I'm sure some of you are ahead of me here, with another boxer at the time whose name was Max and was German, Max Schmeling. Max Schmeling, who was somebody Hitler-liked. So there was that. It turns out Max Bear was born in Nebraska. He wasn't German. Handsome and sort of did a, he had a showman uh, spirit in him. He taunted like Muhammad Ali did. He taunted uh, other fighters in the ring. 
He uh, had a variety show. They called him the clown prince of boxing. But as I said, he was deadly. He... I don't know about the second person. As Cinderella Man says, he killed two in the ring. I do know that in 1930, he did kill another fighter, a guy named Frankie Campbell, who died the following day. Max Baer was obviously traumatized. And here's where, if you get your information from Hollywood, from people whose job it is to hook you and tell a compelling story and damn the facts, you're going to get bad information. Because it turns out Max Baer in reality was not this evil person that Cinderella Man shows him to be. And after the other fighter died, Bayer spent the rest of his life providing financial support to that man's widow and his children, paying for college for his children. He became known as extraordinarily generous. cared about the least of us, would hand money out to homeless people as he walked the street. And then, and all this is before Cinderella Man, and then in 1933, Max Baer is 24 years old. He's already killed the guy, and he's going into the ring against the German heavyweight and former world champion Max Schmeling. Max Schmeling was to later be immortalized in two fights with Joe Lewis. But because of the time he became for boxing fans, the standard bearer for this new regime, these Nazis that had come to power in Germany in that year, 1933. And in 1933 in Germany, any Jews who were in the boxing game were purged any Jew who had won a German title, stripped of that title, Jews were out. Schmeling comes to New York. The fight is in Yankee Stadium, 1933. And when Max Baer, this 24-year-old, enters the ring, he's wearing black trunks 
with a huge white star of David on one leg. Think about that. Think about the optics of that. 1933, Hitler's just come to power. Max Schmeling comes. Yankee Stadium, the American taking him on, goes into the ring with a Jewish star on his trunks. Caused an uproar. And it turns out Bear, Bear's father was a Jew. He was not raised a Jew. He was not technically a Jew. His mother was not a Jew. And as one uh, boxing trainer said, I saw him in the shower. He isn't a Jew. Meaning he'd never been circumcised. But Max Baer at this, 24 years old. My father is Jewish and my mother is Scotch-Irish. I wore the insignia because I thought I should. It makes me want to cry. And I intend to wear it every bout hereafter. So when I came upon the video, the actual video of the fight that Cinderella Man is based on, the thing that freaked me out, and I thought it was some kind of a joke that somebody had like, because at the, I, I, I still thought Mike, Max Baer was, was German, and, and there he is, the real fight, and, and he's got this huge Star of David while he's fighting Jim Braddock. The movie doesn't have that in it. Would have taken away from the narrative. He knocked him out. He knocked Schmeling out. Then he won the heavyweight crown. And he lost it a year later. This Irish-American Jim Brannick. So that's what I did last night. I learned that Max Baer was not Max Schmeling. That Max Baer had beaten Max Schmeling in Yankee Stadium in 1933, wearing a Jewish star, even though he was not a Jew. And if you watch Cinderella Man, you see him played as a vile and violent man. So that's what I learned last night. 
And somehow it all seems. Somehow it all seems like a night much better spent. And yes, a number of you are writing me and saying, his son was Jethro on the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes, he was. Max Bayer Jr. And you know what's odd about that? It just occurred to me that my friend, the former FCC commissioner, the love of his life was the actress, why am I blanking on her name, who played Max Bear Jr.'s wife on the Beverly Hillbillies. What was her name? Because she was also, she was up. She was, I mean, I learned all this from, from Nick, uh, Nicholas Johnson, the FCC guy. Uh, she was, at the time, also the head of the uh, Screen Actors Guild. She was a union maid, smart as a whip. So isn't that odd? Here I am talking about Max Bayer, television and pulling away and Old acquaintance Nick Johnson comes into my head, and now we're back to all ties together. Oddly. (laughs) Oddly. Yeah, so he was Jethro on the Beverly Hillbillies, and I'm blanking on her. Uh, Gigi writes, bravo for you. I, too, have been a news junkie my entire life, reading Time and Newsweek and the local papers from the time I was a kid. I now get most of my news from NPR and reading stories I select to read from various newspapers. I no longer watch MSNBC, and I used to watch it every night. Good for you. But they are no different than the other networks. You are correct. It is all about incitement. I did not watch any election coverage, and though I did hear some of the results, I'm not riled up about it. I'll take a good book over the insane media any time. Thanks for persevering to do the show today. Have a good weekend and some good time off. Thank you, Gigi. Yeah, for those of you who didn't hear it, I will take next week off. I'm going to be traveling assuming I finally just totally get rid of this throat, which isn't quite right yet, but um, I'll be traveling to uh, Green Bay to uh, spend time with my mom. And uh, in the course of the travel and getting organized, I'm just going to take the week off. Okay. But I will do the show from, from Green Bay after that week. So, look, I'm not going to stop talking about uh, politics. Um, the stakes are are too high, as we know. They are huge. And the indicators from that, those elections last night are, yeah, uh, sobering. 
But don't let those networks, I don't care which one you think is the one, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, they are all in the same business. Well, I'll pull Fox out of that. Fox is in a, in a, a realm of its own. It is uniquely a destructive force in our world. But the others are doing their share. And they're mucking up our heads. And they're keeping us from talking to one another. I read about, well, I, actually, I think it showed up. I, I saw it a few days ago online, and then it showed up in the print uh, New York Times today from Michelle Goldberg. And it, it's uh, an interesting piece telling us that some uh, academic type sociologists at uh, where Duke uh, have been doing studies about why what polarizes people. Um, and they actually have something called the Polarization Lab. And they decided to do a um, an experiment because they thought one of the problems is, and what we keep hearing is we don't hear each other. We, we are in our silos. We are in our own little bubbles. I don't know how silos and bubbles became the metaphors, but those are the metaphors. And uh, we're tribal, and we don't hear what others are saying, and they don't hear us, and and all we do is talk to each other, which is what has happened to my show. My show 20 years ago uh, was an eclectic audience, and it was a better show as a result, because we talked to each other. You heard different opinions, um, because none of us are right all the time, <laughs> no matter how it feels when you're in one of those echo chambers that we all, uh, by default, seem to have uh, navigated to. Uh, but so in the experiment, what they did is they, they got a bunch of Democrats, they got a bunch of Republicans, and then they sort of forced them to do nothing on social media except ingest what they were being fed by the testers. And what they did is they thought, hey, if Republicans can only see Democratic talking points, then maybe, you know, we'll take them away from their usual and they'll open up and they'll see that they're, and they did the same to the Democrats. They gave them a steady diet of the Republican points of view. And then they went to test them later about what had happened to their their politics. <laughs> they had assumed that they would have been ameliorated a little bit because they had been uh, introduced to another point of view. That's not what happened at all. In fact, in fact, not a single subject, test subject, moderated his or her views. In fact, 
Here's the author of the report. Republicans, in particular, became much more conservative when they followed just the Democratic information. And Democrats uh, became a little bit more liberal, didn't react quite as much. But neither group ameliorated their positions. But what does that tell you? It's one thing to mix eyeball to eyeball, like we used to, in a human way. Share ideas and talk. But this so-called sharing of ideas that happens on social networks, on Facebook, on Twitter, on a whole bunch of them, is not as human. It's anonymous. It is words or pictures, memes. It has the intent not of informing, usually, or of broadening one's perspective. As we know from the Facebook papers and all of that, on social media, people are rewarded for putting on content that, in fact, enrages, outrages, creates heat, light. And so when we see that as well, I'll just quote Goldberg here. There are many reasons Facebook and the social media companies that come after it are implicated in democratic breakdown, communal violence around the world, cold civil war in America. They are engines for spreading disinformation and algorithmic jet fuel for conspiracy theories. They reward people for expressing anger and contempt with the same sort of dopamine hit you get from playing a slot machine. And then she says, you know, and and, and it is so true. Things we never used to know about, because these things are outrage purveyors, they tell us things we don't have to know, but they know it'll outrage us. So a school board in San Francisco that decides to drop the name, let's say, pick a name, pick a name, Jefferson, Washington, Lincoln, uh, because they were, uh, you know, politically incorrect in some way in their time and blah, 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 and we're not on it. That kind of thing would have been local news. In the screen. Would have been local news. Now. It's outrage bait for Republicans. So they find every little possible thing, every crazy thing, all the woke stuff, which is just a gift that keeps on giving. 
and they grab that stuff and they feed their audience. And on the other side, we are fed in the same way. As Goldberg says, little is gained when people in my corner of Brooklyn gawk at viral images of Christmas cards featuring families armed to the teeth. Right. You've seen that stuff, right? Where we just gawk at our fellow Americans who we wouldn't know. Did I have to see the QAnon kooks in Dallas yesterday? What did that do for me? Waiting for what, JFK? I mean, you know, this, this is a kind of the bright, shiny objects. Do not waste your energy. <coughs> and Goldberg says this, and man, truer words were never spoken. In a country descending into a perpetual state of screeching acrimony, we might be able to tolerate one another more if we heard from one another less. Tune out. Tune out. Don't abandon ship because <laughs> we're needed. But we've all got to learn to be wiser. And I really think working at the local level is a very, very, very good idea. Because the smaller the place you're trying to have an impact on, obviously the greater your ability is. And in as much as we can make change and grow coalitions and reach out to others, that we don't need uh, you know, that to be some huge social media thing. I, 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 I well, okay. I'm 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 starting to blather. Beth writes kudos to you for shutting it down for a while. During the past administration and COVID, we would not watch or read the news on the weekends. We needed to do this just for our own sanity. Because of our current work schedule, we have found ourselves turning out of the news more and more. There's a part of me that feels guilty for not watching, reading, paying attention, because this is something that has been ingrained in me since I was very young. I knew of political figures before I knew of action figures. <laughs> yeah. But I have that other part of me that tells myself that this is no longer news, but entertainment, corporate-owned, right-wing, left-wing infomercials, and I'm not going, I'm not giving my blood pressure and mental health to it anymore. Here, here, here. Here, here, here. 
thinking of Bob Dylan. We're only pawns in their game. You don't have to be much of a pawn. You do not have to be. You do not have to play the game. You will be in a minority. But haven't you been in a minority most of the time? Beth says, I don't listen to CNN, MSNBC anymore, but a jazz station in Toronto. And they have two BBC news segments a day, and that is just enough for me. Well, I think I'll be flitting around more in and out just because need keep track of what their game is. But I am not. Uh-uh. I'm done. I wonder if they know that more and more and more of us are feeling this way. Unfortunately, uh, I'm not so sure all the people that are feeling this way are not on our side of the divide. I don't know. So I'm not pretending that, you know, tomorrow, let's say that when I do the show, uh, it won't seem like, I'm just back to the old outrage stuff because God almighty, guys, there is so much to genuinely be outraged about and frightened about. As I said, I think earlier, these are not normal times. And the fact that our media and to a large extent our political institutions are as though it is, is in itself perhaps the most frightening thing of all. I have to tell you, I mean, I'm sure I've done it before, and I'm not the only one who's had this, this epiphany in the last few years. But as a little Jewish kid who first learned about the Holocaust, much younger than most people do. And finding myself incapable of getting my head around it, which is still true. I mean, I can't even get my head around somebody, you know, uh, not being nice to a a cat. The cruelty that human beings are capable of, the murderous cruelty, is something that I will never understand. And I used to ask, and I still find myself on occasion in this plaintive voice, how could... How could people who were regular, normal people, the Holocaust didn't happen because there were monsters all of a sudden all over Europe. No, those were regular European people. And I'm including Europe because, yeah, Mm -hmm. 
good French, lots of good Eastern Europeans. They did a lot of the Nazis' work. Good people. Seriously, good people. And how could it happen? And I think the most terrifying thing of all that is going on now is that we're starting see how it happened. And unlike the German people and all the others, we have the luxury right, of understanding where it led to the unimaginable, to the unimaginable. And we sit and act as if somehow these are normal times in any way. We are seeing the same thing play out with the acquiescence of corporate media of an entire political party of this country. And we are about a whisker away, if you ask me, from another Holocaust. I don't know what form this one will take. But it'll be white people perpetrating it. That I know. And it'll be black and brown and Jews and Muslims and gays and trans and all the people who these white people suspect we're not going to have an easy go. So it can happen here. That's how high the stakes. And when I see probably what the media is blathering about today, it's all so much noise because it's not dealing with the reality of where we are. And the lack of leadership. In our country. I don't know, guys. I'm no genius. I'm just another bewildered soul. No different no, obviously no different than you. I got no answers. I don't have a degree in political science and sociology and psychology and anything. I do have a degree in journalism. But I have eyes. I have a heart. And I have a brain. And I'm trying to use them. And they're bringing me to an unwelcome place. <laughs> they are.
But I see that in order for me to make any difference, got to pull out of this maelstrom media. That means social media. That means traditional media. Because it is not there help. It is a big, huge part of the problem. I think we're Donald got Jonathan in here at the end here. I found myself needing to control my media consumption also. I used to have CNN all day while on all day while I work, just as noise in the background. I just can't anymore. For Twitter, I've moved all news and political stuff into a Twitter list so I can just follow friends, fun, and interesting stuff. My mind and heart are begging me for protection. And I'm trying to understand. To respond, excuse me. Yeah. Self-care. Self-care. Good idea. All right, guys. I think, I'm not quite sure when we started, but I think I've filled my allotted hour. So thank you so much. I I was really um, strangely looking forward to talking to you today. I mean, in a way that I normally am not. I mean, no, that's not what that, that didn't come out right. <laughs> that did not come in a different way. It was, I've just felt different today. This might last until noon. I have no idea. <laughs> I always look forward to talking to you, but this, I just inside feel different. And, uh, thank you. I want to say. Seriously, thank you for giving me this opportunity to wrestle with all of this um, in front of you. That's all I'm doing. God bless. Be well. Take care. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.